Well, good morning, church. If you guys got a Bible, go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is going to be back there in the back. Colossians chapter 1. Yes, it's not Hebrews, but it's still going to be good, I hope. We'll see. Colossians chapter 1. I'm turning there with you. Today we're going to take a little break from the book of Hebrews. We'll jump back in next week, but we're going to take a break today. And I want to talk to you about some of the stuff that God's been putting on my heart. And so if you got a Bible, go to the book of Colossians. The reason I wanted to start here is because this shows us who Jesus is. Shows us who we can be in Jesus, who we are in Jesus, if we put our faith and trust in him. And I want to start here because that is the main thing. If you got a Bible, hopefully you're there. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, we'll go to uh, verse 23. This is the word of God. And this is who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, both Paul and me, became a minister. Friends, this is Jesus, and this is the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't make your identity about who you are as our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our King, the Alpha, the Omega, our only hope. You don't hide that from us and let us hopefully figure it out. You make it very clear. And I thank you for passages like this that show us the gospel truth of both who you are as the Lord and Savior and who we are as the saved, the redeemed, those who are in Christ. And today as we come to this moment in time where we lean into and remember what are we that we would see on full display what does it mean to be a part of a local church what does it mean to have you as a groom and to be your bride and today I pray that you would show your people the way that you've shown me what it means to be a part of this family what matters most in this family and what doesn't matter at all I pray we keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus, I pray that through the preaching of your word, you would be lifted up. You tell us that when you would be lifted up, you would draw all unto you. And that is, that is what we want, that is what we need, whether we acknowledge it or not. Us being drawn to you is our only hope. This is our confidence. This is what we will boast in. 
in your name. Amen. So today I want to teach you a a lesson. I I don't really know what this is going to be, and I apologize for that at the front end. What I'm getting ready to do is just kind of share some of what God has been putting on my heart as the lead pastor of this local church here that is McDonough Christian Church. And I want to tell you kind of how I got to this place where I feel like this is what God has been putting on my heart and then explain some things about not just who we are, but who I believe God is leading us to become. Uh, today, if you're one of those persons into titles, today's title is The Uncool Church. Um, we spend a lot of time making this, as you can tell. It's really awesome. <laughs> The reason I wanna go here is because over the course of the last year, we have seen God do some amazing things at MCC. Part of what I think was how God led me into this conversation was looking at the growth that he has brought about here at MCC, both spiritual, both uh, in depth side of things, both us also inside of the width. We started to reach more people. Uh, You look around and you see new people every single week. We could go to things like baptisms, uh, this year alone, we've seen today, it was, should be the 28th and 29th people baptized just this year already at MCC. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's something to celebrate about. Yeah, like we, we've seen that happen just so you get a frame of reference. Last year, it was 17 for the entire year. There's only been two Sundays all year long where somebody has not got wet at MCC. And I'm not talking about rain. I'm talking about sky tub. Like that's, that's, all, that's how it's happened. And so it's been amazing to be able to see people taking steps forward in their faith. It's been amazing to see us not just get back to the church that we were before COVID, but to surpass the church as far as attendance goes that we were pre-COVID, especially in children's ministry and student ministries. Those two ministries specifically have doubled right now from the size that they were before COVID happened. All right, so that's, that's an amazing thing. And today, like you heard just a second ago, we're getting ready to have this connecting point lunch for all the people who are new to MCC, which if you are new to MCC, you can come today. You don't feel like, hey, like if today is your first Sunday, great chance for us to be able to have lunch together. I would love to be able to do that. But we already have record attendance that are gonna show up at that lunch. It's gonna be awesome to be able to be a part of that and to to gather together with people who are new to MCC. The reason I wanna talk to you about who we are is because there is what looks like success and growth and God is moving and great things are happening. Now, confession time. As your pastor, I wanna let you in on the battle that happens in my brain as I look and I see what God is doing here at our church. There's this battle, there's this tension between rejoicing and joy and being fired up and excited about what I see God doing. But the other side that I feel is fear and caution. And so I I confess to you that, and I don't know if this is sinful or not, but like there's this part of me that looks at what God has, has happened here and like what he's doing. And sometimes I go through weeks where I'm more afraid and I'm more cautious about the good things that I'm seeing than I am rejoicing and praising. And here's maybe why I'm that way. Some of you, you grew up in a house like what I grew up in and it's somewhat just kind of hardwired into you that you saw so many negative things happen, but also so many positive things happen that it was just kind of this roller coaster. You might grow up in a roller coaster. Yeah. And what happens there is something good starts to happen 
and you can't enjoy or praise or give thanksgiving for the good thing that's happening. Why? Because you're kind of looking around that to see when the shoe's going to drop. You're kind of looking around that to see when things are going to get bad. You're, you never really know what house you're going to walk into and when the good things that are happening are not going to happen anymore. And there's this part of me that if I'm honest, sometimes feels like that here of going, Hey man, things are great right now, but when's the next pandemic going to happen? Things are great right now, but when's, you know, whatever. And so I think part of why I feel that way is because of what I've experienced in my own life. The other side is what I've experienced in churches. And what I see as I look at the character arc of so many churches, of the story of so many churches. When you see time after time, churches grow and good things are happening and they're making news and they're writing about them in magazines and everybody used to go to this church over here on this side of town but now they're all going to this church over here on this side of town and that church just seems to be blowing up and then good things are happening and then what happens somebody sleeps with an assistant somebody gets found out that they're embezzling thousands and thousands of dollars Somebody takes this thing that was all about Jesus and they make it all about politics and they cause this rift in their church and it falls apart. It's like, I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. I've watched friends have this happen to them. Pastor friends have this happen over and over again. I watched it in the church that I just let have it happen where good, successful, awesome things happen and it becomes what precedes the fall. And there's, there's, this, there's this Bible verse, maybe, maybe you heard of it, maybe you can even recite it. The fall happens, and what came before it? Pride. But, track with me here, what came before the pride? 28 people just got baptized, and 29, and they're going to get baptized today. And student ministry and children's ministry have doubled, and we're going to have more people show up than ever before at Connecting Point Lunch. The thing that happens before pride is what? Good stuff. And then you start to get prideful about it and then the fall happens. And so given the fact that we are seeing good things happen, I, I think maybe just maybe some of the angst and caution that I feel as your pastor in the midst of a growth season, some of it may actually be from the Holy Spirit. And that's what I wanna share with you and talk to you about today because when you experience a season of growth, it is a time for a church to really remember what is the main thing and who they really are. And that's what I wanna lean in today because seasons of growth, seasons of fruitfulness are just as dangerous as seasons of crisis. And we fail to realize that a lot of times. So I wanna to talk to you really quick about what I would say are, are four dangers of success. Not that, not that. Not there we go, four dangers of success. First of all is pride. And we, we just talked about this. When things start going good, it's easy to think that you're the one who made that thing go good. And these principles, these are not just church principles. This is like life in general, but it applies to us as, as a church. When things start going good, it's easy to think, well, it's because I'm doing good. My performance is what dictated those results and to puff yourself up in those things. But you guys are Bible people. You just quoted Proverbs 16, eight. Pride goes before destruction or the fall and in haughty spirit. This is that spirit that says, I'm the one who made this happen. This is how good we are. This is all the good things they're doing. That is what happens before the fall. In seasons where good things are happening, 
are actually the seasons where we are most susceptible to pride. Next slide. The next thing is it can lead to entitlement. This entitlement is when we go, this happened, so this has to keep happening. Because this is here, we need to continue to see this. And this can happen in the church staff, this can happen to elders, and this can happen in the congregation. The good stuff continues to go on. And what we fail to realize sometimes, this is a principle for life, guys. We fail to realize that there are fruitful seasons and there are non-fruitful seasons. And we, and again, our American culture, we just want fruit forever. We want fruit forever. We want there to just be endless fruit because we go to our grocery stores and what can we buy all year round? We can buy strawberries all year round. Even though, what you may not realize, those strawberries are not always in season. And so we feel entitled. We feel like this is something that I deserve. And I think Jesus, he spoke into this entitlement in Luke 14, 11, when he said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This part right here, this word exalt is I think where the big danger is. And it's, it's a time where you're very successful or are very susceptible to exalting yourself when things are going good because you think you're the one who made that happen. Now, can, again, confession time. I'm gonna let my, kind of lay my heart maybe out there even more than I normally do today because I want you guys to, to know who I am and what I struggle with so that we can partner together in prayer. Not just me praying for you, but you praying for me. Please, please, please pray for me to have humility. That in the midst of the growth that we see God bringing here, that I will keep myself low. Now, <clears throat> don't just pray. You also can help me. Confession. It's not easy to keep myself from exalting me if you are exalting me. Okay? Do not, I repeat, do not exalt me or my gifts. Do not, I repeat, exalt Eric or his team and their gifts. Do not, I repeat, do not exalt our children's ministry and their gifts. Do not, I repeat, do not exalt Tim and his leaders and the way they lead student ministry. Do not exalt Andy and the way groups work. If we exalt the people, the pastors, the gifted, we will fail to exalt Jesus. That's problem number one. And problem number two, we will hand them poison to digest because we will make it feel like to them. I mean, track with me. This is so different for ministry than maybe other professions. Sometimes we fail to realize this. Like, say you go buy a used car. You, you go to whatever car dealership in town and you have an amazing experience, like really, really good. And you tell the used car salesman, man, this was the best used car buying experience I have ever experienced in my whole entire life. Dude, you just knew it. You worked with me. We figured things out like it was fair. Like you challenged me on some things and you put me in the exact car. It was, track with me. It was just what I, how did you know what I needed? This was the best. What can I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write something down and, and, and make, you, you know, make sure you pass it along. If you're that used car salesman, you're going, you're doing right. 
Let's go. Like somebody tells you that, you don't think you're going to kind of struggle with going like, you know what? I do sell the mess out of these cars. You're right. I'm slinging these Nissan Sentras. You're, you're amped about how you do it. But you guys can come up to me and go, I've never heard that truth. That, how, you must have been reading my mail. You, were you in my house today? That's the best sermon I've ever heard. Don't you see how that's kind of like makes someone like me? Or if you go and tell Eric, bro, I thought it was just a mixture of like Jesus and angels singing on stage. That's the best. That, okay, you need an album, dude. Like, don't you see how that is this dangerous for our hearts? And so like, I'm gonna probably ask you to do something for us as, as pastors and staff that, that you've probably never had asked of you. Will you please pray before you give us compliments? to make sure that your spirit is aligned and gets permission from the Holy Ghost to give us what you're getting ready to give us, that it's pure and unadulterated. And the only reason I say this is because we exist in a consumerist culture where we compare based off of other things that we've experienced. And so one of the hardest compliments for me to get is when one of you guys comes up to me and goes, I used to go to such and such church, or I used to go to this church and your messages are better than that church. And this guy who even used to be here. What I know in those moments is this is not a person who's prayed about the compliment they're giving. Maybe they're good hearted in it, but this is not coming from a spirit who realizes we are all part of one church. And so keep us, keep us as pastors, keep us as a congregation from exalting ourselves and thinking we just have got this whole church thing figured out. Keep us humble. Pray for that humility. Pray for that humility to come. Another one of the dangers in success is addiction. This is the, the, the sports betting guy who crushes it and, and bets really good on something and gets that hit that, woo, made a lot of money on that. That was easy money. And then goes back and does it again and gets it again and then gets it again. And you get the rush because you're taking the risk and success is happening. But then you bet really big with all the winnings that you've got and you tank it. And then you end up owing people money. And then you go full blown into addiction. See what addiction does, <clears throat> you get addicted to good things. Addiction almost always leads to idolatry. The thing you're chasing, the high you're chasing becomes what you morph and warp your entire life to get that one thing. The way we talk about it uh, with our team is, um, one of the prayers we pray is, God, never let us become more excited about what you're doing through us than what you're doing in us. That's, that's a key indicator for me and my team, and it should be for you as well, that ministry and ministering has become idolatry when I'm more excited that that many people are showing up for the thing and that that many people have got there than I am how Jesus is crucifying my own flesh and how he's making vibrancy in my own life and how he's renewing me and showing me the type of father he is to me and caring for me in those. Like we minister, our call, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a churchgoer, if you're in Christ, your call is to minister to the needs of others out of your relationship with Jesus. And if we're not careful, we'll become addicted to the success. And so pray that we would be addicted to Jesus, what he does for us, not the fruit that he brings, because there's a season for fruit and there's a season where it doesn't happen. And the last one, this is kind of obvious. Things start going good and you take your foot off the gas. You become complacent. Yeah, well, we got enough. Well, we already baptized more people than we did last year. Let's just chill out. You know, 
Like focus on some other things, you know, figure, figure out, figure out some other things, do some different things. But guys, there, there is an, a sense of urgency that we have to maintain as a church that realizes that our time on this earth is coming back. And there's gonna come this moment where Jesus, he, he, the first time he comes down here, he comes as peacemaker between a, a, a God who is, is furiously angry at the sins of people. And he comes and makes peace between the God and the people who he's angry with. And he becomes intercessor. He becomes the peacemaker. He becomes the advocate. We talked about this a lot recently. He becomes that between his people. That's how he comes the first time. When he returns the next time, when he comes back, he's not coming as peacemaker. He's coming as judge. For the people in your life and the people in my life, for all the people. And you know, and I know, we all know people who don't know him and who will be on the wrong side right now of his judgment. So there has to be this sense of urgency that doesn't rest on our laurels, that doesn't rest on the fact that, oh, you know, it's a mid-sized church, it's good, and it's just like we come in, we get our thing, and then we leave. No. Our call is to make Henry County a place where it is incredibly difficult for someone to die and go to hell. That is part of our call as a local church. We have to attack that with urgency. So knowing that our church is growing and knowing that there is dangers in growing, what I want to do today is kind of really talk to you about three things. One, it was really kind of combo on the first two, who we are and who we are not. And then what I want to talk to you about is who, with Jesus's help, we will become. First thing I wanna to talk to you about is who we are and who we are not. There's this idea of an attractional church and a missional church. I wanna to talk to you about this attractional side of stuff first. I wanna to talk to you about how this even became a word that is in the vernacular of church people, this idea of being an attractional church. So the church has always existed, but there was a shift and a movement towards becoming intentionally more attractional Around the same time, and some of you are old enough to experience this, almost every single church you experienced and went to was all about what you don't, don't, don't dance, don't drink, don't play cards, don't listen to music, don't have drums on stage, don't, 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 don't. And if you don't do all the right things, guess where you get to go? Devin. And you had one of the preachers and all, there were a lot in these churches. And you knew when you saw this move right here, because they definitely had a shirt and tie on every time. There was none of this kind of stuff. Definitely no sneakers. You, when you saw this move right here, you knew things were getting ripped. Then you saw it, and that top button came out and the veins started going and Bible, and they got on more of the toes. You're like, how long can his toes get? Like he's getting higher and higher. Like you've been to that church. And, and it was just about don't, 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 don't. And people left that because they're like, goodness gracious, so much rules, so much legalism, so much condemnation. Everybody's just sinners in the hands of this angry God. Well, what happened during that period of time is think of a pendulum and you know, they swing back and forth. What happened here is, is kind of some leaders in the church said that is turning people away. They're abandoning. Let's swing the pendulum the other way. And what they, I really do, well-intentioned, thought they were swinging the pendulum the right direction. But what I believe actually happened is the pendulum just got flipped, but remained on the same side. So it went from, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you will not go to hell. 
and it became the same thing, but now turned positive. If you want to have a great prayer life, here are the five things you need to do, do, do. And if you do these, you'll go to heaven. Here are the 10 things you need to do to have a successful marriage. Do this, do this, and you'll have a marriage that is just experiencing heaven on earth until you get there. You've been to this church. Here are the things you need to do, 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 so you can live your best life now. The problem is both of these are on the same side. They're all contingent on your works and what you do. One is just don't do these negative things or you're going to hell. And then the other side is just do all these positive things and you'll go to heaven. But Jesus is over here on the complete other side. And what I'm trying to have us do is be a missional church who actually lets the pendulum swing over here from don't, 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 and do, 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 do. And we let the pendulum swing over here to what's been done, 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 the finished work of Christ. He has finished it. It has never been about what I have to not do. It has never been about what I have to do. It has always been about me locking eyes first and foremost with what has been done for me in Christ. When I see the price that he paid, when I see who I am in him, then I can't help but not do those things anymore. When I fully see the gospel on display, I can't help but start loving and caring for my family. I can't, I can't help but start praying and waking up early in the morning and doing those disciplined things. But until you lock eyes with Jesus, we're crazy if we think we're gonna self-help and behavior modification ourselves into spiritual transformation. That only happens when you see Jesus. And we've got to see him. We've got to see the gospel fully on display. So we will be a church who says, we're, we're not trying to attract you by giving you some positive, encouraging things so that you can go out and have a TED talk. So you walk out and you go, okay, well, here's the five steps I need to. And you feel like you walked out, not with the Bible, but with the self-help book. And so we're going to be a missional church that says, our mission is to make much of Christ. And that when people see him, they will surrender to him. They will give their life to him because they've actually seen him for who he really is. Not just the changer of their behavior, but the one who changes them from the inside out. And with, with that being said, I, I wanna reiterate that what we're really having a conversation on here today are our motives. Like what motivates us to do what we do? what motivates us to be who we're gonna be. And for a lot of this attractional church, the emphasis was on, well, Jesus is amazing. Let's make Jesus attractive. Let's, that's why it was called attractional. Now, again, I'm not saying we become the opposite of attractional. I'm not saying we're gonna be the repulsive church. That's a terrible idea, it sounds bad. But let's talk about attractiveness for a second, all right? I'm gonna be as, as cautious as I can, right? Don't want emails. <sighs> when you see a, a woman, and again, as cautious as I can here, she just looks altered, okay? Altered, all right? You know what I'm talking about, all right? You, got your, you, you close your eyes and you envision the same thing I'm envisioning, okay? <laughs> altered. That is not God's handiwork. That is science. There's something in us that goes, 
really beautiful on the outside. But I, I wonder about the inside. We'll be at equal opportunity offenders today. When you see a guy, and I live in Ola, so I see this all the time. When you see a giant, just jacked up pickup truck, and it's one of those ones with like a train horn on it for some reason. <laughs> like, I don't, that's who we need to call when they get stuck on the tracks. Like, come and berate them. It's got neon lights on the wheels and, 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 and all sorts of stickers. You can follow them on Instagram while you're driving. You got all these things and you just see this massive thing. Like, fellas, I don't know what women think when, we, when, when they see that, but guys, we think, what are you compensating for? Like, really big truck. Are you big on the inside? And so the reason I'm talking about this is I fear this is what we've done with Jesus. That we said, Jesus, this gospel thing is not attractive enough. Jesus, we, we've got to put, uh, Jesus, you need a perm. All right, Jesus, <laughs> we're going to put some crazy spinny lights and stuff. Jesus, we're going to get some fog. Jesus, we're going to take all these things from the world and their concert. Jesus, we're going to have the closest thing to Taylor Swift era tour on Sunday morning. Jesus, we're going to do all these things because your gospel in and of yourself, Jesus, is not attractive enough. There's things in your word, this whole thing that, that John passes where you're like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus, that's not attractive. It's the gospel, don't get us wrong, but it's not attractive. And so we leave the true gospel of who he really is at the altar of attractive and we water down who he really is. And, and then we wonder why people leave churches and we wonder why uh, so many young people are, are just falling away. And I, I believe and, and it's due in large part to the attractional movement not working. And I grew up, I was a youth pastor in this movement. I, I, I would say without a doubt that the, the first, well, let's just say every year before the last three of my life, I have been putting emphasis on being an attractional ministry leader who led people this way. And I have seen it be not as fruitful as just letting the gospel be the gospel, letting the mission of God be the mission of God. And let's think about it like this. <clears throat> When you think about who Jesus really is, he was, he was odd, okay? Th there were things about him that were not attractive. Even when Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus, he says there was nothing about his appearance that would have just drawn people in. Because what was so special about Jesus was not who he was on the outside, but who he was on the inside. And I hope that the same would be said of our church. The other tension I wanna walk us through here is, is the tension between relevance and reverence. Relevance and reverence. From the attractional side, this is a buzzword. Well, we've, we've gotta be relevant to the needs of the community. We gotta be relevant to, to what's going on in culture. And Hear me, I do think there's a time and place for us to be relevant, but again, I anchor this back to our motives. And, and I'm gonna say something that is taking me a long time to be willing to admit as a pastor. I think in this attractional church movement, 
we got to this place where we were willing to label it, we are gonna be relevant. We're gonna have relevancy in our community. We're gonna have relevancy here. And it became our driving factor. And the reason I think we labeled it relevance is because we were afraid to label it cool. Cool was not theological. Cool sounded shallow. So instead of labeling it, we're trying to be cool or we're trying to be trendy, we said we're trying to be relevant. Now, I'm gonna come back to that, but let's talk about cool and trendy for a second. Think back to high school. Some of you, that's not really hard. You high schoolers, you're gonna to get to do this when you become 40. <laughs> Think back to high school. If we were to take some of you older people in the room and uh, we were to go back and pull out your old photo albums and, and like albums, not like, pull up the hard drive or, you know, go to Facebook and look at this memory from when I was in high school, but like actually go to your albums and we're to look at what you're wearing. All right. Now, some of you, you've never had style. So like you were outdated then you're outdated now. Um, but some of you, you could go back to what you were wearing back then. And you're like, man, I, that was so in like those bell bottoms, that thing, you know, though, that was it, you know, like, we, but some of you, you go back and you're like, dude, why? Were my, why were my sideburns so long? Like, what was I trying to prove with those sideburns? Like you look back at what you were doing and you're like, I thought I was so cool then, but that is so not cool. And that's the problem with chasing cool. That's the problem with, with chasing and letting our motive, what roots us in church, relevancy, trendiness, coolness, is that is a moving target. Because what is cool right now will not be cool next year. And so if that's what we chase, we're chasing the wrong thing. I want to show you the, the early church. And I want to show you what I believe is, is, is summed up in these passages here as a reverence, not just being relevant, but a reverence rooted first in the reverence for God and the reverence for his community, the church. Once you got that right, then you could go answer the question of, okay, because we are so reverent to the holy, unchanging things of God, how can we allow our means of relevancy to reach and to care and to do these things to meet these needs? We cannot get one in front of the other. And so in the book of Acts, it's talking about the local church and it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. So there's this heavy emphasis on the word of God. There's a heavy incident, infinite emphasis on what Peter, James, and John, these guys who were actual Jesus' eyewitness account friends said about who he was. And, and they're teaching them these things. There's this fellowship and fellowship is an, a Christian only word. You cannot be un-in Christ and experience fellowship. We have the market on this. That's why when, when, when new kids would come into the student ministry and they see a sign that says like food, fun, fellowship, you'd be like, what is fellowship? Is that like a Lord of the Rings book? Like, what are we doing after, what is that? Fellowship is Christians being united to Jesus and then experiencing how that unification, that united to Jesus unites us all to now, despite the fact that what you have over there and I've got over here and the differences and the preferences you've got, we can actually gather together because the one thing we have in common, Jesus, we can actually still have fellowship without voting the same, without thinking the same, without having the same level of pigmentation. The church is the only place where that can happen. They had that here this fellowship, they broke bread, they ate together, carbs, yes, Lord. Broken, broke those breads, they prayed those prayers. And then look at verse 43. It says, and awe came upon every soul. 
Do you know what you can't do with awe? You can't schedule that on planning center. You can't, at, you can't say, okay, at this part of the service, we're gonna do these three songs and we're gonna have communion and then all is gonna fall on every soul right before this thing happens. This happens and only happens because the Holy Spirit is moving and active because there are a sense of reverence for who Jesus is and what he is capable of doing. All falls on these souls. And the reason I feel like so many people, so many, especially young people are falling away from their faith is because they may have got Jesus up here, but there was never awe in their soul where there was a sense of reverence of the, the Holy Scripture, there's a sense of reverence of the power of prayer, there's a sense of reverence of being able to serve and to lay your knees down and to serve other people. When those things happen, awe falls on souls. And when that happens, your soul is changed. So come hell or high water, come brokenness, come cancer, come disease, come crisis of faith, come a professor at college who gets me to question my faith. I don't care, awe has fallen in my soul. And this faith is something I refuse to let go of. But, but we don't get there because We were never devoted to these things. We were devoted to being relevant. Instead of a holy reverence for who Jesus really was and the things that he calls us to. It says, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They're selling stuff, giving stuff away. So they were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, this consistent meeting together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And here's the relevancy part coming into play. It says, and having favor with all the people. This is, this is why Peter, who's a part of this movement, could say the verse we read last week when he says, guys, always be prepared to give an account for the hope you have in Christ Jesus. And we talked about last week, when was the last time anybody asked you that question? Well, I don't know, never. It's because we look like we're hoping in the same things the world is hoping in. And if our church services look like the same things that the world experiences, then there's no difference. There's no holy awe. There's no reverence for the things of God. And if our church service just kind of looks like a concert with Jesus tagged onto it and a couple of verses hung on it, then, then we will not grow in favor with the world that looks on because what we're producing and what we're doing looks just like the same things that they're experiencing. It just has a different sticker on the outside. But when people are selling belongings, when people are humbling themselves, when people are devoted to teaching more than they are what's on TV, that's when people begin to go, hold up. What are you hoping for in that? Why are you doing that? And then we have an opportunity to give an answer for what we're hoping in. Next tension is the tension between being faithful and fruitful. Now, this is where I feel a lot of pressure. And it's a pressure to be fruitful. It's a pressure to make sure the nickels and noses and the necks and checks are where they need to be. You know what I'm talking about? Attendance and giving. Nickels and noses, necks and checks, humans and checks. And we'll look down the road and we'll see whatever church is growing. And what happens a lot of time, a lot of churches, they'll go, oh, let me see what cool thing they're doing. And then we'll go study that thing. We'll go look at that thing. And in the name of Jesus, we'll steal the thing that they're doing. We'll come back here and we'll try to do it here. But look, the, the conversation we've had with our staff is, is we're gonna refuse to wear Saul's armor. You remember the story of David, David and Goliath? Saul brought him in and Saul's like, hey, if you're gonna kill the giant, if you're gonna defeat this thing, you gotta wear my armor. 
And David puts the armor on. He goes, this doesn't work with me. This doesn't fit. If he wears that and he goes try to fight Goliath, I believe he loses. You can't do what he could do with that on. And so we're gonna be a church that refuses to wear Saul's armor. We're gonna refuse to go and copy what everybody else is doing. But our elders and our team in in, in concert with your prayers as well, we're gonna prayerfully, honestly seek, what would God have this local church to do? As opposed to going, oh, what's working? Now, some things may work and they may be really be it. We'll take those and we'll break through those and process through those. And that may be things we adapt here. And that's part of the whole body of Christ and the whole local church figuring things out together. But we will not sacrifice faithfulness to Jesus in efforts to get fruit. And I would put the fruit in quotations because it's that wax cardboard stuff you sit on your counter that nobody can eat because it's not real. What happens is we start, if we're not careful, we'll be a church and ministry leaders who think that when we cross over into the other side, Jesus is gonna go, well done, good and fruitful servant. He is not gonna say fruitful. He is going to say faithful. And what faithfulness looks like here for us may mean, track with me here, I'm okay with this. I've had to release this to Jesus. What faithfulness to Jesus may look like here may never be as fruitful as a church down the road. And what faithfulness may look like here may be a megachurch. I have no idea. I'm not really concerned, honestly. This is my heart and I hope this is your heart too. I'm not really concerned with the fruit. I want it to happen. And we wanna look and we wanna see that. We wanna observe that. But what Jesus tells us in the word is if you remain faithful, the fruit will come in the right season. Last thing on this side of stuff, uh, you-centered versus Jesus-centered. This is mainly what I'm talking about here from the side of preaching and communicating in that side of stuff. This is where we move away from uh, sermons and messages that are designed to make you feel a certain way where you getting your stuff together is the sole purpose. But again, like I talked about, it's so that we can see Jesus. I love the words of Paul. He wrote to the church in Corinth and he was talking to them about why he did what he did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 5, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. It's Paul coming in going, look, I wasn't trying to like give you this awesome TED Talk or give you these things or show how wise I was to you. I didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom. Uh, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the, track with me, your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's why the same Paul could say in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because that, the gospel, not the lights, not the moving things, not the cool attractional thing, not the really pretty group of people all on stage, not, not all those things. It is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so what we will do here is we will preach the gospel and let it land where it lands and let it do what only it can do. So last year, what we will become, would Jesus help, what will we become? a great local church. We will become a great local church. I said local on purpose because the church, the church of Jesus Christ right now, the bride of Christ, she is already great. Us getting here and going, nah, it's not that great would be like you coming up to me and going, Jessica Shoemaker's not great. Those are fighting words. 
All right? She is great. Don't you talk about my wife that way. But the reason I say local church is because we are a local embodiment of Jesus' bride, the entirety of his bride, the church. So how do we become great? Well, let's first understand what the marks of a great church are not. I want to show you what the culture would say are the marks of a great local church. These are the things that make you a great local church, right? You got great preaching. We got great music. Got great reputation. Oh man, nobody has anything bad to talk about XYZ Church in town. Great reputation. You got great events, stuff for everybody. We got great ministries, outreach and all that other kind of stuff. And then there's great attendance. Now track with me here. I wanna show you that this is how ingrained this is in our DNA as Americans in, in, in American Christianity. Christianity. You're on a road trip. You're somewhere, you're driving somewhere. Say you're going to Disneyland, who knows um, if you're that type of person. Um, going, you're on your way and you look over on the side of the interstate and you see a big old building, big old parking lot, big old building, looks nice, looks new, just looking good. In your mind, what do you think? It looks like a great church. Or, or bare minimum, you at least subconsciously go, well, something great must have happened there. Something great must be going on because look how big it is. And what I'm trying to divorce permanently for us as a congregation, and this is why I told you I'm afraid of growth. Like there's a fear in growth. Scripturally, growth does not equal godly. Now, sometimes it can. Healthy things do grow. Growth is a, is a good thing. Sometimes healthy things shrink. Like when cancer starts to go away, you don't get more of it, you get less of it. If, if I was 250 pounds overweight, me becoming more healthy is me getting, there being less of me, not more of me, all right? So we can't just lob that principle out there and go, that's just say us the Lord, healthy things are big. Well, it is possible to have a church full of great preaching as the world would define it to have great music as the world would define it, to have great prep, uh, reputation in the community as the world would define it, great events, great ministries, and great attendance. And the majority of his congregation be hell-bound sinners. It is possible. And I, I, I refuse to let that be said of us. The elders of this church refuse to let that be said of us. And again, the only way we can fight against this is to make sure we put the main thing as the main thing. And so we, it's not that we reject this definition of what a great church is. You may have a great preacher. You may have great music, a reputation. You may have great events and ministries and you, we may have great attendance. We may have all of those things, but that is not what we're aiming at. Instead, we are going to Christ's marks of a great local church. The first mark that I think Jesus lays out very clear when he says, this is what a great local church looks like, is it's overflowing with people who are faithfully pursuing his definition of greatness. And what I'm here to tell you today is his definition of greatness has nothing to do with great preaching, great attendance, great reputation, great any of those other things I just put on the other side. Jesus's definition of greatness is laid out explicitly in Matthew 20. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The Greek word there is diakonos. It implies a 
activity that somebody would do to lower themselves and put the needs of somebody else before. So what does a great church look like? It's overflowing, it's busting out the seams with people who go, I'm ready to put my activity in to this church to serve other people. This thing that is a local church does not exist to serve me and to meet my needs. It is not Target, it is not Sky Zone, it is not even a flea market, even though sometimes it feels like it around here. It is none of those things. When we gather together, it's not about you even. This is called what? This is called a worship service. Who do you think we're worshiping? We're worshiping God. So you can whine and complain about the sermon was too long or this was too weird or that song was off. Like, but again, it's not to you. It's not worship to you. It's never been about what do I come and I get out of it. It's what did I come and be able to lift up and magnify and show to Holy God because that's the one that something was be give, being given praise to. He's the recipient, not us. It's a worship service and it has to be filled with people. A great church will be filled with people who acknowledge I am not here to be served, to have my needs met. I am here to lay down my needs and to actively serve, play a part, not just be a consumer, but be a contributor to what God is doing through and in this place. Diakonos speaks to the activity, but Jesus goes on. He's like, wait, there's more. How low can you go? And whoever would be first among you. So now he's not just talking about being great. He's talking about greatest. Whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Now that word conjures up all sorts of stuff in our culture. But what it means here is he's saying, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, identity, slave, activity, servant. Your identity has to be, my whole purpose and call here is to lay myself down, to humble myself and to lift up the needs of others around me. When I read you that Acts verse, that's exactly what was happening there. And that's why who was adding to their number daily? the Lord. This is, Jeff, this is Jesus' definition of greatness. And my hope and my prayer is that MCC would be a, a church that is busting at the seams with people who embody this definition of greatness, who aren't coming in here looking, how, what can I do to just go find a new great church to be at? Who go, no, 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 no. How can I go be great, i.e. a servant at that church? And when we all embody that mentality to say, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna serve, you will be, <laughs> all will fall on your soul because you will be experiencing greatness as we humble ourselves the same way Jesus did so that we can lift up, magnify him and be in awe as we realize he's put us together. Second side of this definition, or second mark for a great local church, Jesus makes very clear. It's not only is it overflowing with people who faithfully pursue his definition of greatness, it's overflowing with people faithfully pursuing his great commission, his great commission. So it's not just who we are, but it is also what we do. And again, Jesus told us, like the reason some of you are like, man, like, what's MCC's mission statement? Or like, what's the new mission for, for MCC? I'm like, dude, like Jesus kind of already gave us one of those. Like we got one. I don't like, what am I going to rewrite Jesus? Like I'm Jesus ghostwriter. I'm underwriting Jesus, rewording Jesus, paraphrase Jesus. What if I just let Jesus be Jesus? And we go on his mission for us, which is pretty straightforward. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, which is kind of Jesus way of going, look, look guys, like I'm kind of in charge here. It's not your pastors, not your elders. Like the, the lead pastor of MCC is Jesus Christ. It's the guy from Nazareth. It's the guy on the cross. 
It's the guy who rose from the grave. It's the guy who's gonna return to judge the quick and the dead. He's in charge. He says, I got all authority, which means me being part of a great church means that I actually give him all authority. I give him all authority over my finances. Go, Jesus, this is your money. You got all authority to tell me what to do with this. Jesus, these are your kids. I got, you got all authority to tell me what to do with them. Jesus, this is my sexuality. You got all authority to tell me what to do with this. And you do pretty good in your word telling me all those things. But the question is whether or not I'm gonna let this be the authority of my life or let my emotions and my feelings. Great churches are killed by people who say, this can't be the authority of my life. It's gotta be something else. He says, all authority on earth has been given to me. And then he tells, this is, this is key right here. He says, he doesn't just say this to, to, to the random dudes who are there. He says this to all of us. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples, not make church attendees. He says, go make disciples. Go and make people whose lives are sold out to this mission. Go and, go and make people who are willing to take up their cross, deny themselves, crucify their flesh and follow me. Go and make disciples and friend. This is the call that he's put on your life not to, some, to be somebody who shows up Sunday in, Sunday out and is discipled by me through a sermon, but to be somebody who realizes all I really need to know about Jesus to make a disciple, I already know. And I've got to maybe even sometimes like get out of my prayer closet and get out of you know, my Bible study plan and actually go meet a stranger, go and actually make a disciple because that's actually Jesus' great commission for my life is to not just be someone who sits and rests and going like, I got my get out of hell free card. I hope everybody gets theirs. No, like you, you're called to show them this gospel. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them. We're gonna get to see that in here in a second. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And then teaching, again, there's this emphasis on teaching them, teaching them to actually obey, teaching them to obey what I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that he says, I am with you because if we're not careful, we can be a church that goes, oh, I just wanna do my life for Jesus, for Jesus, for Jesus, for Jesus. And we forget that he says, a great life is not a life that's lived for me. It's a life that's lived with me. I'm in you, you're in me, we're together. Let's do this together. That is what makes a great church. We live out of Jesus's definition of what a great person is and we embody his great commission. And my hope and my prayer is that these are the two things you want in this local church, but, if there is something else that you are after more than these two things, I, I love you with all of my heart, but I pray you would go somewhere else and find them. This, we, by the grace of God, by his love, grace, and mercy, I will do everything I can with the breath in my lungs to, again, fully surrender to Jesus' help lead us to become a great church that embodies Jesus's marks of a great church. But if there is something else that you want more than these two things, I'm telling you, you're going to, from here on out, feel perpetually uncomfortable here. And you will either surrender to that uncomfort and make the changes you need to make, or you will become numb and hard-hearted and that is a very dangerous place to be. And so I'm inviting you into a, to a grand adventure to pursue the greatness that Jesus invites us into as his great church. And I hope you'll come with me. I can't wait to see what he does. It may blow our minds or it may break our hearts, but what we will be found doing, whether minds blown or hearts broken, is lifting Jesus up until he returns. Our call is home.
Let's pray and sing. Father God, we love you. Move now in our hearts. We confess that there's nothing else that we want more than we want you. So move in the ways that only you can move. Do the things that only you can do. For if you don't, nothing happened today. Not a good message, not a good song, nothing. Transform us, Jesus. As we partake of communion, let us see who you really are. A God who gives and gives and gives. And as we celebrate with these who are being baptized, I pray our heart rejoices as we know we are rejoicing in tandem with all of the angel armies of heaven as they celebrate lives changed, souls saved. In your name, amen.